Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. This uh, I'm program host, Kip Allen, in case you forgot. And Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. You know, in short, the program's designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily things that are soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological chapter and verse discussion, sometimes a casual front porch-style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program's all about. Today's guest pastor, Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that's 314-821-0850. That includes Metro East, by the by. Anywhere else in North America, toll free, 1-800-730-2727. So here we are, and I'll mash this button and bring up that pot. That's what we call them in the business. Hello there, Ooh. Bill. Hey, Kip. Happy March. Yes, it is. Starting March, getting close to Ash Wednesday. And the Ides of March. Yeah, oh, well... <laughs> I was just re-watching the Rome miniseries on, uh, on Netflix keep, the other day. Keep so. your eye on your best friends. The the uh, Also, um, if you're in the one-year series, you're already... You're deep in the Jesima uh, Sundays, so you know you get this three-week head start on Lent. But if you're a three-year lectionary person, then you are emerging from Transfiguration Sunday this Sunday into Lent. Ah, so, so what? been interesting. I've been on sabbatical, so I haven't been preaching. I've been hearing. Oh, and hearing is a much different experience than preaching. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think every pastor, I, I, I really believe every pastor should be granted a sabbatical at a regular interval just to get perspective and orientation and be encouraged to be a hearer of the word rather than simply a preacher, rather than a preacher. Um, one of the reasons is that you get a better feel for the amount of pain and misery that we inflict on people from the chancel. I had no idea until I, I sat in the pew. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I did a, a program, uh, I think about a year ago, on uh, when a pastor needs a pastor. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And... Uh, you know, they say, say it's lonely at the top, and you know, you're the guy up there in the pulpit, but boy, you've got the same problems that the people in the pews. Oh, you know, and, and plus you absorb their problems, too. So you have this whole issue of what they call professionally compassion fatigue. Yeah. But, but it, it's a spiritually debilitating vocation, or can be, and, and I think that we don't fully address it. We, we look at it institutionally, bureaucratically, professionally, all kinds of different ways, but we, we're not really looking, I don't think we're paying close enough attention to the spiritual health of our spiritual shepherds. And yet we say to all the people in the pews, you need a pastor, you need pastoral care. But, um, I, you know, ask your pastor, who, where, where does he get pastoral care from? And in a lot of cases, it's a physician heal thyself uh, situation. Mm -hmm. So. I'd be, I'd be interested to find out what is the level of, say, alcoholism or even suicide among pastors. I don't know if there's been any studies done on that, but I suspect that there have been. There has been a study on clergy burnout, and I believe even our own Lutheran Witness a few years ago ran an article on hmm. it, uh, that there's a high rate of uh, job dissatisfaction. 
And a lot of people are puzzled by that because, uh, as one member of mine once said, how can you be dissatisfied with your job? You have the best boss in the world, you know? And I said, <laughs> well, I said, I have never seen the name Jesus Christ at the bottom of my paycheck. And I said, when you understand the the dissonance of that situation, you'll understand why. Uh, <laughs> but you, you didn't want to talk about this today, but no. it's the front porch, you know? We have to kind of ease into the conversation. Yeah. Well, being on the porch here, I wanted to... I'm going to ease into it. You know, here in St. Louis, we had an interesting thing happen uh, last week. The United Methodist Church, which of course we have our doctrinal differences with them, uh, met in a um, in, in a conference, and in, in, I think they do this every three or four years. And they had a big discussion on whether or not to allow their clergy to perform gay marriages or, or uh, to have openly practicing homosexuals. In their priesthood, in their in their, their pastorhood, and the the Methodists uh, voted to keep to decided to keep up with the traditional biblical version, one man, one woman, that that type of thing, and they came under a lot of uh, fire, and there were some defenses as well. And one of the more intriguing arguments that I heard on the side of the traditionalists is uh, they used the H word now. <laughs> Here's what I mean by the H word. Uh, the, uh, the the loyalist, the one in favor of the tradition, was said. You know, the we were told that we were out of step. We were told that we didn't understand our culture. But that's what I would call heresy. We have to follow the Bible. Mm. So that's the H word I want to talk about. Heresy. Now, not necessarily just with the Methodists. You know, that's that's just the lead in, as we call it, the hook. And that's what got me thinking about it. Heresy. Boy, you know, the, the the Christian church has been wrought with that ever since its founding. I mean, remember, I remember reading about the Arian heresy and all sorts of things going on. So what is heresy? How do we define that? What's going on with heresy? <laughs> and here I thought we were going to talk about the Methodists. Okay, we're going to talk about <laughs> heresy. All right. So I have to change gears there. for let me, Can I just uh, uh, toss in just a couple of observations about that, that convention? I believe the Methodists... Uh, their general conference, I believe it meets every year. Um, and this was a special general conference called by the bishops to address uh, what what I would term to be a value drift by the institution. In other words, um, the Methodist Church is governed by a thing they call book of, the Book of Discipline, which sounds horrific, but we have the same thing. We have uh, our Book of Discipline is the Synodical Handbook, coupled with the accumulated resolutions of the Synod in Convention, coupled with rulings by the, Cons the Committee on Constitutional Matters and, you know, and the Council of Presidents. That, that, that all together is our book of discipline. And the whole idea is, you know, how do we live together as a church body? And uh, I know this because my tax accountant is a Methodist, and right there on his shelf in his office is, I, I look over his shelf, always size up a man's bookshelf, you know, and, and so there's a book of discipline on there, so I looked that up. But the question was, do we, do we actually um, live by and use the rule of law in our book of discipline, or are we going to just continue to do whatever is right in everybody's own eyes? You know, and that, that's really, that was the, the, the issue is whenever you have a value drift, you either change your policy or change your behavior, one or the other. 
And that's, I think, what they what they put to the floor of their general conferences. Are we going to change our teaching or are we going to stick with our teaching and change and, and actually, you know, enforce it? And um, the side that was on keeping the Book of Discipline the same and enforcing it uh, won narrowly, about 50 votes, but uh, they, they, they won. So that's kind of what happened. And then, of course, there's the aftermath and the anxiety and the hand wringing and the questions of will there be a split? When, whenever you have a vote that's almost 50-50, you can be assured you got a big problem as a church body. That's why you, you should be reticent to put things to a vote. You really don't want to see that. <laughs> well, this is one of the one of the situations with the Methodist chair was that the Methodist leadership was in favor of the change. And yeah, well, they have, I mean, they have a lesbian bishop. Uh, they have um, notorious, not, that's, a, that's a weighted word, but I mean, they have, they have, they have churches like Glide Memorial in San, in San Francisco that are open, openly LGBTQ friendly, embracing, welcoming, uh, you know, the whole thing. And, uh, and this has been going on for years in the Methodist Church. The wild card, uh, and I don't think the thing they, they fully have come to terms with is the, 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 um, the Africans, because this was international, and so they had a delegation from Africa, and, and um, Methodists are big in Africa, as Lutherans are too. And, and the African churches uh, do not uh, look kindly upon homosexual sex. Um, in fact, I, I got to thinking about it, and they tend uh, to have more of a first-century view of things than we do. The African African society and culture is much closer to the biblical times, the, the culture of the Greco-Roman era, than ours. And their homosexual sex was viewed as a vice. And, uh, you know, in other words, it wasn't an orientation. It wasn't sort of part of your being. It was just, it was, it was a vice and it was a very bad one and looked down upon. And, and so that's kind of the way they look at it. So when they look at what's going on in the American church, uh, they're not going to be supportive of that at all. So, uh, the influence there is going to be pretty strong. It's, uh, it's a significant, um, significant thing for the, the American Methodist Church, and we'll see how this all shakes out. Institutions try really hard to conserve themselves, but when you have a 50-50 split like this, uh, especially between clergy and laity, uh, I suspect a lot of that 50-50-ness is, is clergy versus laity. Uh, this is going to be, this is going to be, um, this is going to be very difficult for that church. It will be, uh, and I think any church body has really got to look out for that. Uh, and I know here at the uh, at the uh, IC at the International Center and at the LCMS as a whole, uh, we are very strong on on doctrine, on uh, scriptural inerrancy. Uh, I remember, uh, I won't say I called on the carpet for something. I was very gently taken aside. <laughs> And corrected we, on. We've all been taken uh, taken aside at one time or another in our life. <laughs> with, with love. Yeah, it was. It really was. You know, and uh, it was over something I hadn't even thought of. It was I. I said I had written or would said something to the effect of, "Well, you have to let God into your heart." And one of the people uh -oh. took me aside and said, "Uh uh." You got you, you got busted being a closet Arminian evangelical. <laughs> That's right. There you That's go. Right. Serves you right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. Here's the thing. I think whenever when you, you're in you're in a a, a business of, of broadcasting, um, you don't sit around reading 
papers, you know, that you you spent six months preparing. Uh, you don't you're, you're you're speaking out of the body of knowledge that you have, and you're speaking your opinions, and you're, you're it's conversational, just like what we're doing here. And, yeah, but you'd be and, surprised at how much reading I have to do for this job. Well, and 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 I appreciate that you do, but but nonetheless, when we go on air, you're not reading a script or re- uh, reciting memorized lines. And I think whenever you go conversationally, there's going to be inaccuracies and mistakes and these sorts of things. And mistakes are not heresies any more than if Jesus actually was a carpenter, uh, practicing carpenter before uh, he went public with his ministry. Uh, I'm a woodworker. When you mismeasure, when you cut a board too short or too long or the chair wobbles, uh, that's not a sin. That's just that's a limitation of hand to eye coordination. And, you know, I, I expect Jesus made tables and chairs that were like any other table or chair, if that's what he did uh, in Nazareth. Um, if Although I will say that if there's something wrong and the customer wasn't satisfied, he fixed it right away for free. But but, uh, um, you know, the, the mistakes are not sins and and lapses like that are not heresies. So. Uh, I want to get to that word because it's an important word. Um, we throw it around, I think, too quickly, and uh, and that's kind of a that's that's a problem because I, I think it has a narrower definition than than what we're what we're intending when we toss it around. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, how is it used and misused? Perhaps even more importantly. Well, you know, it's a it's a word that just transliterates right from the Greek. Hyraces uh, is the Greek word, um, and it uh, originally refers to simply a group that holds a particular set of distinctive tenets. Um, it would be synonymous with sect, or school, or faction, or party, or something like that. Um, and it, it, it just has to do with the fact that a particular group has a distinct, a distinctive body of teaching. So in, in that way of using the word, you might even say that like the LCMS is a, a heresy of Christianity. Well, I'm <laughs> that, sure the Catholics thought that. Yes, they still do. You know, if you, I mean, if you, if you get like diehard conservative ones, they, they would say it because it's a, in their view, it would be a, a group or a, a party that holds two distinctive teachings. Now, we would turn around and argue that none of our teachings are actually truly distinctive, but that they just simply represent the teachings of the Christian faith from the apostolic era. Uh, and that's, of course, you know, the, the whole debate of the Reformation. But my point is that heresy just means division or party or faction or group or something like that. In fact, St. Paul uses that term in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, the Corinthians were a divided congregation. And and he says in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, he says, there there have to be heresies, factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized, which I find kind of fascinating is he acknowledges almost the necessity of these kind of factions so that the truth can can come to light, the truth can come to the surface. Now in dogma, we tend to use heresy as the people who are kicked out. <laughs> so, like you mentioned, Arius. So uh, the followers of Arius, you know, they're heretics, and so they need to be out. And so the Nicene Creed has a whole second part, which we don't recite, which condemns 
Arius and his followers as heretics because they falsely or they wrongly confess uh, Jesus. They, they, they wrongly confess the, the nature of, of the person of the Son of God. So uh, that so when we have to be careful when we throw that word around because because in that sense um heretic would mean sub-christian or not christian one who denies a fundamental core teaching of the christian faith well for example uh same-sex marriage uh the bible i think is rather explicit about that or if you know what constitutes marriage and uh wouldn't to deny a biblical truth be by definition heresy uh <laughs> that's now this, this is where this is where the nasty cards and letters come in um i in my opinion and notice i have used those three magic words in my opinion no not not in that way of speaking uh, be and here's why because we are making an appeal to a text and whenever there's a text there is a cause for interpretation of the text uh, and so that that's point one. Uh, if somebody were to say, for example, we believe same-sex marriage is okay because the Bible is worthless and doesn't mean anything, and it's just a collection of man's opinions, that would then cross the line into heretical because that um, idea consistently held would overturn the gospel, the whole proclamation of Christ, and the whole basis of the church, okay? So it basically deauthorizes the scripture. Uh, however, if we, we have disagreements all over the place on, on certain things in the Bible. You know, people say the Bible teaches this, the Bible teaches that. But um, the people who approach the Bible as the word of God often differ on what they say the bible teaches on a particular thing uh this this has been going on literally since the word of god came to us and that's the nature of a text a text is always going to be a matter of interpretation especially with the multiple translations over the years whether it was written in hebrew whether it was written in greek uh, yeah. whether it was translated from the original aramaic well yeah i mean you have if you stop and think about it and if you think about it too long you're going to have either an anxiety attack or a headache so i i caution you don't think about this too hard but do think about it uh you have translation issues i was just looking at something i was looking at a devotional thing to the other day uh where they quoted the esv and uh that's one we normally use and it's a good translation but man was it irritating because they intentionally interpreted a way an ambiguity in the text in other words they decided of all the ways that phrase could have been translated they decided the way it was going to be translated and and it it completely sways how you read that passage okay and that's the problem with translation you always gain about 30 percent of something that's there and lose about 30 percent of what was there but isn't there in the language you translated so that goes with the turf the other thing is is culture um, the Bible speaks to a particular time and place. We're overhearers. So the, the Bible doesn't talk to us directly. Uh, the Bible talks to whomever it was talking to, and we listen in. Uh, but we better have the ears of New Testament, the fir a first century Greco-Roman, or Old Testament, an ancient Israelite. 
Otherwise, we're going to be misinterpreting these things because the worldview, the perspective, the culture, everything is all framed that way. So there's another element, the historical element. That's why we, in, in the Lutheran Church, we talk about a historical, grammatical way of reading. We read uh, the Bible according to the ordinary rules of grammar, syntax, definition, within the historical context in which these things were written. So being careful not to push things from today back into the Old Testament or the New Testament. So it's tricky business. I, I'm not going to say it's easy. Oh, it is. I remember you know, uh, when I was a young man, uh, the, the Bible was the, uh, um, the uh, which one was it? Oh, the King, the King James, KJV, King James. Yeah, and then I remember that came up, the there, there was the revised Bible, which I'd never liked. And the revised now, standard? I, you know. That's, that was the successor to the King James. That's yeah. my go-to. That's my, that's still today my go-to English translation. Oh, really? Because I didn't like it. I really didn't. It's, I, it's, I thought it lost the poetry. Oh, it did. It, it's stiff, it's wooden, but it took into account many more, uh, much more of the textual issues that were not uh, accounted for in the King James. And it basically modernized the English, at least to 1950s uh, standard English. But it's, it's still trying to be, um, a not not a not a dynamic equivalence kind of translation. It's trying to be as literal as you can from Greek to English or Hebrew to English, and it is. It's it's still today. All my marked up Bibles are RSVs. Uh, I you know have to keep up with whatever people are using. But uh, heresy though, heresy, same sex marriage is it a heresy? I think it's an errant practice. I think for the church to bless it is a false teaching on the nature of marriage. And that um, doesn't constitute heresy? No, no, no. False teaching and false practices. <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing from one of our, L local, uh, our LCMS theologians, Francis Pieper. It's in, it's in the introduction to his first volume of his Christian dogmatics where he refers to felicitous inconsistencies in theology. Happy, <laughs> happy inconsistencies. And he's taking into account the fact that nobody, including Lutherans, are 100% consistent in what they believe, teach, and confess. And so you can err in a point of doctrine or practice and not be heretical, just simply errant on that point. Uh, that's the beauty, I believe, of Christian theology, and especially as Lutherans come to see it, is that it's like a bicycle wheel with however many spokes a bicycle wheel has. You can break a spoke and the, st and, and the wheel still spins because it's it's Christ-centered, gospel-centered, justification-centered. And so as long as that hub is in place and enough of the spokes are attached and tightened, the thing will be okay. Not ideal, but it'll be okay. And so I would view that as an aberrant practice, certainly sectarian. Uh, it departs from the entirety of the, you know, the Christian tradition, um, and it teaches falsely about human sexuality, what God has to say about human sexuality, and the nature of marriage. So there's, you know, I'm not saying this without problems. I just wouldn't give it the big H, the big H uh, label. That's an interesting concept. I, you know, I was thinking about the wheel up analogy that you just made and uh, I look at uh, compare it to for example our friends who are Catholic or Methodist or Baptist now we think here in the LCMS that we we've found the right way but that doesn't mean that the Catholics the Baptists, and the Methodists are going to be condemned 
Exactly. And it's why it's how Luther, even as late as 1539, could see in the Roman church the true church. You know, and, and he basically said, when you look at the, the Roman church, it's like a cord of two strands wound together. There's the false religion of the papacy, and then there's the true faith that has been carried on uh, by the grace of God in the Roman churches. And this, this is Luther's genius. You know, uh, the more radical Protestants could not fathom this at all. And so Luther could see false teaching and truth side by side. And, and not call the Roman church heretical while some of its teachings were errant and, in fact, dangerous. And the closer you get to the hub, the article of justification, the gospel, the closer you get to heresy. See, that's why Arius is so dangerous, because Arius gives you, gives you something less than full-blown son of God. Yeah, they, they denied the divinity of Jesus, if I'm not mistaken. Well... Here's the problem. Is uh, One of my teachers, uh, Dr. Nagel, used to say, I'll use the fancy words and then restate it, but he says, you know, where there's hypertrophy in one thing, there's atrophy in something else. Now, what he meant by that is when you overemphasize one thing, you tend to underemphasize something else. So when you're posed with the paradox of the person of Christ who's both fully God and fully man, and you're worried that his fully man is being compromised, okay, that he's being made as like something other than an ordinary human being who occasionally cuts his boards too short, you know what I'm saying? Then you tend to, if you're worried about that, then you start to emphasize his humanity and you'll begin to de-emphasize his divinity. See, that's the nature of paradox. Once you start playing favorites, um, something's going to something's going to go wrong really fast and that's what happened and then you try to harmonize it and then you try to defend your position against people who are calling you a heretic so you dig in your heels and pretty soon you have your own denomination <laughs> you know most of northern europe was 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 aryan uh, and so <laughs> what are you going to do <laughs> this is this is how problems begin oh. and and so you have to watch that that you're you're not overemphasizing underemphasizing or making a a peripheral thing the central thing you uh. see if you were if you were to make like traditional marriage the central teaching of the church you would create a heresy it would not be the christian church it would be the church of traditional marriage i see that i, I do but boy, we got a lot more to talk about, and I've got to take a break here at the bottom there. So let's hold that thought and get back to it right after this. This week on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah. We'll preview the March Lutheran Witness about life together with managing editor Rachel Baumberger. And we'll talk with Pastor Greg Truey about the second annual marriage and family conference. We'll meet some extraordinary Lutheran school alumni. And we'll head to Lutheran camps to help parents plan for an outdoor summer tradition. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO. Underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is the day which the Lord has made. 
for the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Next time on Adventures in Odyssey, Jules finds a new friend in Valerie. Um, are you really going to hang out with her? Yeah. Valerie. But is she really a friend? We need to look out for each other. Yeah. Or is Valerie just manipulating Jules? You know she's using you, right? You know, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't tell me what I can and can't do with my life, Buck. Don't miss the next Adventure in Odyssey. Saturday mornings at 8.30 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. In the early 1800s, the horrific conditions and brutality of the English prison system was taken for granted, conditions ignored. Elizabeth Fry was determined to do something about it. She was a Quaker, passionate about reading the Bible for herself and making the Bible accessible to those in need. The daughter of a prominent banking family and the wife of a successful tea dealer, she used her influence to visit female prisoners in London's prison, discovering appalling conditions for women and their children. She set up classes to give women job skills, rallied others to provide clothing, and at the center of her plan, leading the women in studying the Bible. Until her death at age 65, Elizabeth Fry worked tirelessly for prison reform, fundamentally changing how women prisoners were viewed and treated. Engage with the Bible in its impact on injustice over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Bill Swarla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church out in Hacienda Heights, California, out in the, as we say, out on the left coast. If you've got some questions you want to call us, we'd love to hear from you. Here in the St. Louis area, that's area code 314-821-0850, including Metro East, or anywhere in North America, toll free, 1-800-730-2727. And we are talking about the big H, heresy. Yes, we are. I While we were on break, I did a little quick uh, concordance word search here because I was curious. So do you want the results of that? Yeah, I would. The word hieresis, hieresis, um, from which we get heresy, is uh, just that word has <clears throat> nine occurrences in the New Testament. Most of them are in the book of Acts, interestingly. And in the book of Acts, it just means party. So the Sadducees were a hieresis, uh, as were the Pharisees, as were the Christians. Uh, the Christians who were referred to as the sect of the Nazarene uh, were considered uh, a division or a sect of Judaism. So, so <laughs> go figure. See, Christianity was once a heresy. Um, and so, but that just means party. And I think Paul is using that 
pretty much consistently in First Corinthians 11 where he says there have to be divisions among your factions. And also in uh, Galatians 5 where he enumerates the works of the, the flesh. Uh, among them are uh, dissensions, party spirit. And so that word uh, is there again. In um, It's the work of the old Adam to create divisions. The only use uh, that comes close to what we're talking about, that would be a doctrinal use, would be Second uh, Peter, where he warns that false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So he, he warns them, and, and he probably has in view some kind of early form of Gnostic teaching or something, but uh, people who kind of slip in secret teachings that are ultimately destructive. Um, and but, but there the idea is still the same. These are unique teachings not found. Um, you know, not not found in in traditional Judaism, traditional Christianity. Now, in that way of speaking, you could say that approval blessing of same-sex marriage is a heresy. That is, it's a unique teaching. It's never been taught before, either in Old Testament Judaism or in the New Testament Church. Certainly known, um, recognized, not approved, but never embraced, blessed, and 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 that kind of thing. And so the idea that it fits into you know, that's within the realm of God's blessing, that would be a unique, uh, new teaching not previously heard. And so it would, that would qualify. Let's call it a small H heresy. Well, we've got Cheryl on the line from Indianapolis, and she has some thoughts on the subject. Good day, Cheryl. How you doing? Oh, thanks for taking my call. I've been reading a lot on biblical interpretation lately. <laughs> and um, I uh, was uh, reminded of this uh, passage from Matthew 23, um, verses 9 and 10. And uh, Jesus is uh, speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. And um, he tells them... Um, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Either be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. And then when I look at the uh, Lutheran um, study Bible uh, footnotes for those two verses, it says, um, call no man your father is not speaking of biological relations. In ancient Judaism, father referred to esteemed teachers and the revered dead. Instructors, in verse 10, is one who leads the way. Instruction might take place in a group at a school as today or through tutoring and mentoring. And um, because Jesus is God's son, he is the scripture's ultimate interpreter and revealer of divine things. Only he teaches with full authority. So for the church... To go against Jesus' authority on any topic would be, uh, to me, in my mind, a heresy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see, you know, I, I agree with your point of view. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is Jesus was speaking in Aramaic. And we don't speak Aramaic. So how do we know exactly what the nuances were that he was talking that, about? That, that also leaves an interesting conundrum, because because Jesus likely 
though we don't know that, uh, likely spoke Aramaic. And But the Gospels have been transmitted to us in Greek, so they are already a translation of what Jesus said. Not not questioning what he said, just, just basically kind of reveling in the irony of this. And then we are reading a translation of a translation of what Jesus said. Um, what the footnote says, I, I, I can't argue it. This, this, is, this is absolutely true. Um, on particular topics, Jesus didn't speak on every topic. Uh, that comes to our mind. Uh, some, I think we've invented some new ones along the way that they wouldn't have thought of back then. <laughs> but but Jesus is the the one who authorizes the scriptures for us. He points to the script, the Old Testament, says they refer to him. They're talking about him, uh, and we're to hear them. Uh, and they spoke by the Spirit, and uh, and he authorizes the New Testament in advance by saying that his apostles would speak by the same Spirit. So we believe the Bible because we believe Jesus, you know. And uh, I think the point's well taken. Uh, there's no evidence in the Bible that says we we should be uh, blessing what God hasn't blessed, and and that would be that would be heretical in the loose sense of the word. I've established a usage of the word. That's all. I, I, false teaching, not 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 for the church to be doing. We can't we can't be making things up as we go along. Well, I'm afraid a lot of that happened, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why Luther came along. And as you pointed out, uh, you know, Luther said that there was a basic truth to the to the Roman Church. And, in fact, he rejected the, the label of Protestant, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no, actually, it was an okay word. Again, this is about words. You know, we're talking about the meaning of the word heresy. Protestant referred to the, the, the participants at the 1529 Diet of Spire, who protested the reversal of the decision at the 1526 Diet of Spires. So they were protesting. Um, to, as a class, as a non-Catholic, uh, we don't have much use for that that term. The, but uh, the Catholics like to pin that one on us, but we don't, we don't particularly care for that term Protestant. But historically, it just refers to the people who protested the reversal of the tolerance decision of 1526, which basically said, hey, Whatever the religion of the prince is, that's the religion of the region. And so the evangelicals, i.e. Lutherans, said, yippee, we're legal, it's cool. And then in 1529, they said, never mind, we changed our mind, and they protested. So we were Protestants. So that's okay. okay. I, I still pro <laughs> To this day, I still protest that decision. <laughs> okay. Oh. But but your caller, the caller, I forgot her name, but, but the caller makes a great point. We are not in the business of innovating. We're not in the business of writing new doctrine, creating new teaching, you know, and, and maybe culture in the world has kind of gone to a different place. That doesn't mean we follow along. Well, this is one of the arguments I have with, for example, the Episcopalians is they seem to be changing their doctrine all the time. I mean, it's, it, it, to, to me, you know, doctrine has to be, has to have a stability to it, especially, you know, the Bible is the Bible. And as you pointed out, you know, we can't add to it or subtract to it. It's there. And uh, these other churches suddenly say, well, maybe it didn't mean that. Let's, let's try it this way. And that really bothers me. You know, I, I think at some level, that, this, a comp this is a complicated 
discussion, okay? Because I know people like to be, you know, the Bible says it, that settles it. And and I wish I wish life were that easy. If it were that easy, then pastors wouldn't need to go to school for so many years. It, it's it's not that easy because. Uh, but here's here's my litmus test on this: if people are are honestly endeavoring to honor the scriptures as the very word of God. Okay, they're giving it that authority as the word of God and maintaining its theological significance. I can see where there are going to be places where we're, we might have some differences of opinion about how to interpret a passage, how to apply it. Um, for example, that passage that the lady cited, call no man your father, call no man, however you translate that word, um, some translations say teacher, some say master. Uh, the word means one, the one who sits in front of, you know, he's the, the big, the big cheese. Uh, but yet we, we call people teacher. Uh, there are whole chunks of Christianity that call their pastors father. Uh, so we have to give an account for that. How, you know, so what did Jesus mean? How do we apply it? And that's kind of, the, I, I think that's what makes the whole conversation interesting. But the key thing is we are honoring the words of Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're honoring the scriptures as the word of God that continue to have meaning uh, in our lives, that continue to shape our lives with the authority of God's word today. And sometimes we, we're going to differ on either the grammar, the syntax, the definition, uh, the historical context in which it's speaking. And that's good. It, it should be that way because we, we, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God who gave us the Bible. Yeah, the Bible's just a guidebook. No. Okay. No. That's, a, that's a heresy. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> it's not a guidebook. It is a guidebook. It's the Word of God. <laughs> well... He's telling us. I love that moment. I don't know if everybody does it, but I love that moment when we when we just one of the, you know I, I said I've been on sabbatical, right? And so I get to sit in the pew, and and it's oh, it looks so different from the pew side of things. I'm telling you, it, every pastor needs to spend some time in the pew. I'm just saying, but I like that moment after a reading, and the reading should be done well. So you don't have to kind of follow along and say, oh, he just mispronounced, you know, Ephesus. <laughs> um, but, but after the reading, there's a pause. This is the word of the Lord. I, I, for me, I, I, get, I get kind of choked up about that because I have just heard in my, I have heard in common language, in human language, but, you know, it's as basic as it gets. I have heard God speak. And, and to me, this is, this is, a, this is a great thing. That, that God has spoken to us in our language, using our images, that God has reached down to us at that level. And the same with the sermon. Everybody gets nervous, you know, when I come to their church, oh, you're going to criticize my sermon. I said, I'm not a critic of God's word. I, I, I'm listening to hear what God has to say to me today. And you're the spokesman. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, and a truth is that Sometimes the biblical truths are hard truths. That's right. And sometimes they cut against our collective majority opinions or the way in which our society has gone. You know, I, I really believe that, that when you stop, so get, getting to the Methodist, when you stop, when you ignore your principles, when an organization ignores its constitution and bylaws, when a country ignores its laws, 
Um, you, when a church ignores its teachings, you, you experience this drift of values. You're like, a, you're like a ship that has cut anchor, and you're drifting. And sometimes the drift is so slow, you don't realize how far away you are until you wake up one day and you say, how the heck did we get here? You know, and so the, this is where I, I I think the Methodists are asking the right question of themselves, saying, "Have our teachings changed? If they have, then we should change them. Or do we need to change our behavior, our common life together, because the two are at dissonance with each other?" And I think every church body needs to ask that question. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is getting heavy. It is. It's heavy business, and you know the problem is it's like everything else. We've seen it with the Episcopalians. We've had our own splits, you know, amongst the Lutherans. This is this deeply affects the the piety of people, their faith in Christ. It divides families. It it there, there's there's emotion. There's intellect. I mean, it's the whole being is involved, and and these are deeply pastoral. That's why I don't like these things to be stuck in front of a bunch of delegates who are voting. Worst place, worst place to settle anything, you know, the, the, because that's just an exercise of who can get more votes. So somebody got fifty more votes than had that gone fifty votes the other way. Totally different conversation, right? Yeah, and uh, the majority's not always right. No, CFW Walther said that. You know, because he, you know, they accused him of bringing democracy into the church, and 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 Walther was very adamant in his pastoral theology that the majority does not rule just because it's the majority, and sometimes the majority must give in to the minority for the sake of love. He said, <laughs> "Go figure." That's our guy. So, <laughs> That's true. You know, and, and typical, I had to chuckle. I was reading, you sent me an article, Christianity Today. So the, the side that loses accuses the side that wins of buying votes, vote counting. You know, they were doing nose counting before the vote hit, uh, corruption. You know, and this is, this is what happens in, in whenever there's voting, the losing side always accuses the winning side of cheating. Well, we're actually seeing, <laughs> seeing that in our own government. Of course. <laughs> Of course, and it's no different in the church. It's exactly the same phenomenon. That's well, that's why one of the questions I always ask when people want, oh, we need to bring this to the convention, blah, blah, blah. is like, do you really want to vote on this? Do you really want to vote on this? Because, you know, whatever the issue is, let's just call it, you know, the issue. And do you really want to see, like, for all the world to see, 60-40? on the issue because it's not this settles nothing it's a it's a representative thing and and you know people have been like scrambling nose counting who's voting this way who's voting that way and it's no different than politics in chicago well politics in chicago is, is rather unique i grew up there the well, dead vote twice well you know i, I was born there Oh, yeah. Yeah. So heresies, heresies. My personal advice, just you and me on the porch, is don't throw that term around so much. It, it's it's like one of those buzzkill words, you know. You just you know how we have that now? Everything is, you, you call somebody a Nazi. You call somebody, you know, these are these these ad hominems. Oh, he's a heretic. You know, it's like. But you've been following me on Facebook, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go deeper than that. Is it maybe a false teaching? Why is it false? What's the nugget? What's the kernel of falsehood 
that is that is in operation there because then you'll learn something and you might you might i don't know things are mostly emotional these days but you might actually persuade somebody to see see that from your perspective but name calling is that's uh, just throwing the heretic thing that's his name calling I agree. I, I, it, it, if nothing else, it's low class. You know, <laughs> <laughs> one thing that one thing that uh, I, I've I've toned down my Facebook uh, participation and my sabbatical because it's a source of great personal stress to me, and I, I've I've kind of realized that I think a lot of our cultural rhetoric, the name calling, the divisions, the zero sum game approach that we take to everything i think it's fueled by social media i think social media has made us the the animals that we are today well, it's just I, like it's an appeal to the old adam for the it's at us at our worst well i remember uh you, you you've got a thing here about name calling especially uh you know making fun of a person's name or what have you i remember uh oh gosh i must have been four or five years old and uh i had called one of my playmates in name, and my mother overheard it. And she called me aside and said, you know, Kippy, Kippy then. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rough handle to have to, have to live with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she said, you know, you're, you're, get, you're getting to be a big boy now. And only, only children, only babies oh. make fun of people with their names. And you're a big boy. Big boys don't do that. And you know it worked. <laughs> that's an interesting strategy. You know that that's 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 an appeal to maturity. So you want to be recognized as a big boy, and so so uh, by categorizing the be categorizing the behavior as as childish. See that that's a motivation to get rid of that. That's oh, absolutely! Remember when you were that age, you couldn't wait to get older. See, you know a lot of a lot of pastoral um, exhortation to holiness actually works that way. It's it's where you know somebody's somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing and 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 rather than saying you know that's a sin you'll burn in hell for that blah 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 it's it, the 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 positive way of doing that is that's not who you are you're a child of God it's not who you are and and so you you put the the action in a in a the category of sinner but that's not who you are you're 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 a child of God. You know, and and that's that's the way Saint Paul does it. Put away those things. Once you were in darkness, but now you're in light. Walk as children of the light. See, so he's doing the same thing. He's appealing to the new man in Christ, rather than just scolding the old man in Adam. We could we could learn something from your mom. <laughs> she was <laughs> maybe she was schooled by Saint Paul. I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> My mother was uh, of was uh, she was born here, but she was very much of German extraction. Was bilingual and. Mm. Uh, yeah, so was mine. My my mom was born and raised in Germany, ah. but, uh, and so and, and my grandma lived with us too. So I was raised by two German mothers, which explains oh boy, a lot. Yeah, a lot yeah my of, grandmother lot, cutting a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy to get over <laughs> that. I'm telling you. Well, my friends, uh, once I got into uh, college, my friends who knew my mother referred to her as, as Gerfeldwebel. <laughs> Which, uh, for the, for the non-German speakers out there, that's a, a master sergeant in the old German army, <laughs> oh. and it was actually, uh, I think, a pretty good description of the lady. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So you know, looking looking at the Methodists, and I rather like Methodists. You know, they build. When you walk into a Methodist church, you can't tell it from a, a, a an LCMS Lutheran church. They built the same A-frame churches all over the place. Uh, I think their polity is very similar too. You know, I actually I think all these headlines from St. Louis probably aren't going to amount to much of anything because they pretty much do whatever they want anyway. 
congregationally. The only power they have is over clergy. They can they can like suspend and uh, remove clergy because they have a, a an episcopal structure with respect to their their clergy. So they can they can put the hammer down on clergy if they want, but they haven't. And they'd have to clean out <laughs> they have to clean out the role of bishops too. So I don't expect much to happen. I think this is more um, melodrama than actual drama. And I think also you pointed out the uh, cultural differences because there were so many uh, African delegates at this meeting. You know, this this is another interesting rabbit trail to go down is the influence of the uh, well, this this these are actually from these are African representatives. But, you know, the influence of uh, immigrants in our churches is really um, interesting as well, because they bring their own cultural set of values and perspectives and uh, they are not Western. But, you know, I, I have a large number of Asian, of Chinese, and, and their, their take on things is not Western at all. And, uh, it's, it's a, and they're Christian, they're Lutherans, the ones among us are. And, uh, and so it's, it's interesting to see their, their approach, their, their look at things. And um, I think it's going to reshape the American. The American church is going to, is, is constantly under, under reshaping, you know, as clay to the potter kind of thing. And, and God works in with and under all of this mess. And it's an interesting trip. I mean, uh, I was talking today to Eric Lunsford, who's the uh, Synod's photojournalist, and he had just uh, returned from a trip to Papua New Guinea, mm. visiting the uh, Lutheran missionaries there and, and working with a local culture. And, you know, he's been all over the world, and he has said exactly the same thing you did about the cultural differences are it's a whole different mindset from what we think of here in the West. You can we look at a particular problem and we figure this is one way to solve it. The other people, they may not even think it's a problem. <laughs> it's, right. Or, or as as I framed it, you know, they're in African culture. They they've not heard of German psychology, and and so they're not. They don't think in terms of sexual orientation. They just think in terms of what you do. It's very concrete. So this is a vice. This is a bad thing to do, and uh, and then that's pretty much the the viewpoint of the first century, uh, it, where where Paul's writing. You know, they they don't know anything about what we would term you know sexual identity or orientation or blah blah blah. Uh, the this is this is our this is our modernist view of of things, and so. <laughs> Getting back to our reading the Bible, we have to we have to adopt the the viewpoint, the perspective of the first hearers of the Scripture, not ours, because we're bringing in we're bringing in more baggage than the international terminal of Los Angeles Airport. You know, it's <laughs> and you have to shed that baggage along the way, and you you have to you have to take this. So like that passage, don't call anybody father or master or teacher, you know, that's a that's a that's a critique and commentary on the Pharisees. Uh, well, Bill, we're out of time. Oh, so much to talk about. I next know. Time. We'll, we'll pick it up next this, time. This darn clock is a heresy, you don't know. Call, don't call people names. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Our guest pastor today, Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. been listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor 
Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.